Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast brought to you by NordVPN. On the show today, I look back at Malaysia on MotoGP's return to Sepang Championship permutations as we hurtle towards the final round of the season where MotoGP and Moto2 champions will be crowned. Plus, a bitter end to Alicia Spargro's title hopes and more. The recording date is Tuesday, the 25th of October. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewitt. And well, where to start, really, Keith, wasn't it? Pecco Bagnaia, he's taken another step. He's basically got one hand now on that MotoGP uh, title after winning from ninth on the grid. Yeah, I mean, he, he absolutely nailed what he had to do, didn't he? You don't want to go to Valencia with a, a close run thing. We've seen championships lost. You know, you can go back over the years and find people that have lost championships at the final round and you just don't want to be there. Having made all that momentum over the over the last few races, 91 points he's grabbed back and then, you know, basically Quattararo now got it all to do. They both rode brilliantly. You've got to say that Bangnaia, I think... And this is, no one will know except within Ducati. It looked like Bastianini had the pace to make the pass. But I think just on that last lap, unless he had been in an obvious position, I don't think he was going to make the pass. It looked to me like he he proved that he could have made the pass, but then he didn't make the pass. So Bagnaia got uh, top points. Um, I mean, just perfect for Bagnaia. Quattararo, third place on the, on the Yamaha, I thought was just a brilliant ride. Um, and then if you go back further, we didn't see anything of it. The most interesting race was going on way back down the order with Crutchlow. Crutchlow, birthday boy on Saturday this week, um, oldest man in the field, you know, virtually retired, and he's still battling away well in the points. Had his best ride of the year so far. So uh, hats off to Crutchlow. Brilliant stuff from him. I mean, he's, the place is going to be sad without him when he does finally decide not to, to, to ride, of course. But uh, Great ride from him. Uh, there's actually so much to talk about this week. I mean, the, the, the MotoGP race wasn't that interesting, it's got to be say, said, but the Moto2 race, and particularly the Moto3 race, which I know you're going to in a, in a little while, Harry, was just outstanding. I, I, you know, got to have a lot to say about that. 
I think Moto3 and Moto2 may have slightly stolen a little bit of the limelight this weekend, that's for sure. But as you say, brilliant battle. I think that battle with Crutchlow was over 12th in the end. Darren Binder, Alicia Spargo, Zarko Miller, and they moved up. Oliveira was in it, Vinales. It was absolutely mental. And that's quoting uh, Cal Crutchlow. Uh, and in the end, I think he won that battle just about, well, the battle of 12th at least. So uh, his best result, as you say, Keith. So uh, Cal having a good run of it, which is always good to see. Uh, best result since coming back from retirement, I believe. Um, but back up at front, Pete, um, it wasn't actually Peko and Fabio leading the way come qualifying. It was Jorge Martin who was really managing to, to pull a lead uh, over a second at one point. And then I hate to say it, but once again, it all kind of came crashing down on him. It did, didn't it? Yeah, it was it was another weekend where Jorge Martin, when he gets that pace when he's you know he's done this several times doesn't he he just has that speed sometimes to just make people go wow it I always remember Silverstone I think it was last year remember in qualifying he cut the track and he did you know it, was, it, it wasn't in doubt and he knew he'd done it and so it, his time came up and it was two seconds quicker than anyone else but because of who he is and what he'd done at, at other races people were actually going is that is that right? You know, and he, and he came in after the session and was going, no, guys, no, I, you know, I cut the track. And the replay showed he had. He'd run over one of the chicanes. But the fact that the other riders, you know, didn't just instantly dismiss it as, oh, look, someone's cut the track. Um, because it was Martin, they were kind of like, well, you know what? He can do that kind of thing. And he was doing that. He was showing that kind of speed. When he's got the bike working as he wants, the front-end feeling is something that he spoke about how important that is that he's been struggling with at quite a lot of races. He had that back. He looked confident. He looked strong. He looked like he'd broken the other Ducatis, didn't he? He just got that gap away from them. And he says one kilometer an hour quicker. That was all it was. But that turn five, it's sort of a, a downhill fast corner right behind the pits at Sepang. So it's one that, that all the media are quite familiar with because you can see it very well from the back of the, the media room. And uh, it's, a, it's a fast corner. It's where James Tozen had a massive accident in testing um, some years back when he was riding but uh yeah it all went wrong for him there and uh yeah unfortunately of course he won last year he hasn't won a race this year that's obviously playing on his mind he said look i wasn't interested in a podium it was about a win today and that's it so we know what he's thinking but uh not not a great year for him is it you know he's missed out on the factory ducati seat he's missed out on the race win there you know it was just another another sort of setback but he's fast at valencia so he's got one more chance to pull something out you've always got to ask yourself when you've got a second lead at uh, that quickly do others know something that i don't and uh, clearly uh, he found that one out uh, the track was tricky this weekend it was greasy in places there were damp patches the humidity is so high that the damp patches don't really dry out you you've got to be so mega accurate with the whole thing but by the time you get to the MotoGP race, normally it's in tracks in the best condition it can probably be in during the day. It will have dried out as much as it can. But when you've got that much pace, you're into the unknown a little bit. And, uh, you know, you saw how many times people were either close to accidents over the weekend or had them. There were a lot of crashes uh, during race day. And a lot of that was down to the condition of the track. It just didn't clean up as much as you might have expected. And it caught a lot of good guys out. Well, speaking of Ducati as well, though, uh, it was a good weekend for them in all, wrapping up uh, the title. But equally, uh, we mentioned it right at the start, the Inea Bastini and Pekka Bagnaia fight rearing its head once again, neither of them really caring. We talked about it for ages, so I don't I don't want to keep banging on the team order drum. But also, next year's going to be spicy, right? Because uh, Pekka Bagnaia has already said, it's going to be tough with, with Inea as a, as a teammate next year. It's going to be different to what I've got now with Jack. I think what they're doing at the minute they're kind of jockeying for position this year 
for next year. It's kind of working out that team dynamic during the course of this year. It's quite, it's worked out quite well for Ducati. They've got two very fast guys that are going to be on the factory bikes next year. No doubt about it, Bastianini deserves to be on that factory bike. But next year, you know, the, it becomes serious when they're both on the red bikes as opposed to the opposing team bikes. It's going to be a situation where, you know, Ducati are going to have to manage it really, really strictly because otherwise you're going to have a situation where these two are going to be taking chunks out of each other and will be costing them championship positions. Um, Bang Nair is going to go into next year, looks pretty much certain as world champion. But that doesn't give him any priority over the other guy in, in the red red camp. So Bastianini, I think, is doing it all right. He's putting Bang Nair under pressure every possible time. I've, I genuinely felt that he had the pace to make the pass on Bang Nair had it not been his prospective teammate for next year, had it not been the guy that's going for a world championship, and that's all we talk about unwritten laws. There aren't any really un, unwritten laws anymore. I, I always like that little phrase that people use, an unwritten law that, that you don't interfere with a, a guy going for a world championship. Well, how many unwritten laws have we seen broken over the years where people, you know, we can go back to go back to Malaysia 2015 if you want to get to that one with um, Valentino and Marquez, of course. That, that, there was more unwritten laws broken during the course of their little shenanigans than uh, just about any for previous years. You know, Bastianini would have loved to have win that race. Uh, I think that he just had that very clever little bit of reticence in making the pass. I think anybody else, any other time, Bagnaia any other time, he'd have had a go at him on that last lap. Um, I think he did the right thing and just rolled it enough to to prove that he could be there if he wanted to be. Quite clever. It's not often you see Gigi Dalinia get get out from the pit garage and walk to the pit wall, is it? And that just showed... I think Ducati have done a good job of managing what is quite a difficult situation, isn't it? But it showed the tension, didn't it? It showed that they weren't comfortable with, in that middle of the race, Bastianini putting quite that much pressure and taking the lead. Um, now, I think Bastianini probably thought, because we know we know they're free to fight for the win, and obviously Jorge Martin proved that. He wasn't... He was, he was planning to disappear, wasn't he? He wasn't planning to sort of just just ride up front and then wave Banyaya by. So I think Bastianini thought he could take the lead and pull away. Now, he, he wasn't able to do that. And then we saw Pecco came back past, but he stuck behind him, didn't he? And, and it was a bit like Mizano again, wasn't it? But Ducati were obviously not quite comfortable with how close he was to uh, to Pecco. Now, as you say, I think after the race, careful was the words that Bastianini used, that he was being careful. And so, yes, he said he wanted to try and pass, but he was being careful. Now, it seems like after the race, there were some words exchanged between Ducati management and Bastianini's management about, uh, you know, quite how hard <laughs> the racing was there. Bastianini's point of view, of course, he was still in mathematical title contention. Uh, he's now, was he, one point off a leash for third in the championship. And there's all the bonuses and everything that go with that. So that's sort of his point of view as to why he needs to keep pushing and everything else. And it all worked out okay in the end, didn't it? But certainly there were some tense moments there in Gigatti pits. Maybe they need the system that you have in Speedway. When you ride in a team in Speedway, um, you get a second place but a paid win because you backed your teammate up. Um, so the, 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 the pay scale is, is if you back your teammate up in a team sport, you get paid the same as he does for the win, um, which I think is a great system for, from a team point, point, point of view. And with eight riders out of the grid in uh, Ducati, maybe they need to adopt some system where bonus-wise, they kind of share it out a little bit if that's the case. I mean, it's, having said that, it's not great for the fans. I mean, I think everybody, all of us, you know, it's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and say, well, we want to see a battle. I mean, I'd have liked to have seen Bastianini take it to Bangnaya. You know, 
some of the best battles we've seen in recent years have been Dovey and Marquez on those last couple of corners where they've stuffed it under each other, got the cut back and all. You know, can you imagine a couple of these these guys are well capable of doing that, and I was expecting that we might get some of that this weekend when uh, Bastianini was honing honing into him on the the last lap or two. But I think discretion at this time of the year is the right thing. I think Bastianini played the team thing. If he did, it might have been a Bagnaia won it out and out. I mean, I'm not saying for a second that Bastianini was was a, a winner waiting to happen and he let Bagnaia win it. I'm not saying that, but um, certainly I think the discretionary route that he took was just to be careful, as Pete said, quoting him. Um, I think that really, really proves that he's a team player when he really, really had to be. And a big sigh of relief for Ducati, I should think, because the last thing you need is them two hating each other going into 2023, because that is just going to be fireworks, and it's usually counterproductive. Well, while those two were fighting fairly fiercely on track, Fabio Quattararo was closing on them at times. It was a good ride uh, from Fabio in the end, up from 12th. Um, and considering Keith, he's got a broken middle finger on, on the left hand, he still managed to claim his first podium since Austria. But the gap now is 23 points going into Valencia. So he has to win no matter what to keep any chance alive. Well, I think I've touched on this before. I mean, he will be doing his best at every single Grand Prix. I mean, I, I, I always smile when people say, well, the pressure's off now. He can he can ride how he wants to ride. You're always riding flat out. There is no, you don't give anything. You don't leave anything on the table when you're in Grand Prix, that is for sure. So he will be doing his best to win every race that he's in anyway. The only only slight difference is, I suppose, is, is qualifying. You might throw caution to the wind if you completely muck it up you know, by overstepping the mark in qualifying, then, uh, but you need to be Valencia. You've got to be up the front end, you know, and to win in Valencia against the kind of field that he's got, what an horrible task. You know, I think Bagnaia has got a hand and a half on this trophy. I don't, you know, he's, he's the man in form. He's going to be more relaxed going into Valencia. I think, you know, the reigning world champion is going to find it very, very difficult, you know, in Valencia. What a horrible bloody place to end up with the final of the Grand Prix anyway. <laughs> no not a fan no never been a fan of Valencia I've never been a fan of Valencia wrong time of the year for the place it's always freezing cold or chucking it down mm. with rain next year it's going to be even later which is ridiculous I don't understand it I understand the Valencia region I mean it's a lovely region I mean to, to, to be in Valencia is, is great but not for a Grand Prix the track is they've made the most out of that racetrack that you could on the smallest piece of land you could put it on you can see everything it's like a concrete cauldron if you like but very difficult to pass, not an easy racetrack, some very, very difficult corners. That, you know, you, you ride on, you know, you get to the first right-hander having done I don't know how many left-handers, and, and it's just one of those tracks that I wouldn't really choose to see the end of a, a Grand Prix season naturally. Give me a Mugello or a, or a Phillip Island yeah, or something yeah. like that. Although I haven't said that, Phillip Island's well into the winter at that time, so you wouldn't be able to. But mm. it's just a track that makes... It just brings a, it's a bit of a downer for me at the end of the year. You've still got to go. You know, Valencia is a great place. But, you know, not to end your season on. Why do they do that? I always remember British Championships. And I won my British, uh, one of my British Championships at Carnaby, which was an industrial estate, a northern industrial estate, where they just put some bollards and some straw bales out for the final <laughs> round of the British Championship. And you went from tarmac to concrete. Well, in, a, in a Tesco car park. It was, but it wasn't even that. I think it was a bloody building site that they hadn't built on yet. Um, and it's just, you just think to yourself, <laughs> who on earth thinks these places up for the final rounds? 
There you go. Well, I look forward to next week's uh, Valencia guide. That's <laughs> going to be a fun one. Um, but interesting, just coming back to uh, to Yamaha, Pete, and picking up actually on something Cal Crutchlow said afterwards, highlighting that something we all kind of knew, but the Yamaha machine can't really fight in in group battles or it's not the best for that it's only really good at solo riding and if you look at fabio's wins this season they've come when he's kind of gone away from everybody else's on his own i suppose he was a little bit on his own once he kind of recovered um in in malaysia but interesting to highlight there and at tracks towards this end of the season that we know are not really yamaha's strengths yeah exactly i mean i think both banyai and quattro did the maximum they could on Sunday, didn't they? Both of them rode great races. Banyai with the pressure, you know, of lead. we were talking, how would he cope with it? And, uh, you know, right from that fantastic start, I think that just took a lot of the pressure off him, being ahead of Quattararo. But really, they were evenly matched. You know, a couple of seconds between them, if Quattararo had got ahead of Banyai at turn one, they were both starting a long way back. Like Aleix, they had that bad time in qualifying. But, um, you know, if he'd have got ahead of him, it might have been slightly different, but they were basically evenly matched. And for both of them, it was a fantastic ride. As you say, with the Yamaha, you know, in the in the pack, it's difficult to overtake. Really, this 2023 engine that we keep hearing about, this more power, it's great, but it's coming a year too late, isn't it? You know, he needed that bike for this season. That's the bottom line, unfortunately. He was talking late 2021 we were hearing all the time he wanted more engine power we all thought it would come for this season it didn't no one really still knows why um it does seem to be coming for next season it seems like they've made a lot of progress he was speaking about cal he said they've been through four stages of of engine development and that's just the ones that he's tested so they put a, a real big effort into their engine for next season but unfortunately as you say he needed it for this season because overtaking is so difficult for them and uh yeah, you know, he got everything out of the bike. He was in clear air. It could have been a lot worse. He'd been buried in the pack, a bit like Phillip Island, and had lots of bikes around him. He was able to get a bit of a clear air, so he was able to do a good pace. But, yeah, they want a bike that they can race with, not just do, let's say, time trialing with. They know it's fast on a single lap if you get everything right, but you've still got to do it in the race, and that's where they suffer if they're not in clean air. We've been here before, haven't we? With Suzuki, with Aprilia, you know, the, 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 the upgrade that's coming for the following year is going to be this, that and the other. We're expecting more horsepower and all the rest of it. And they and we have all been disappointed by by the upgrade that perhaps has come at the end of the day. Engineering within the rules takes a lot of doing to try and come to that point. And uh, Yamaha have, have been on the back foot with this for some time. The other problem is, of course, is that as soon as you up the ante when it comes to the motor... If that's out of sync with everything else that's going on, and it's a package at the end of the day from suspension, the electronics, and so on and so forth, if it's out of sync, you'll end up with a slower, you might have a faster motor, but you'll end up with a slower lap. It's a really, really tricky balance to do. I mean, Cal Crutchlow knows more about it than anybody. <laughs> and talking about, you know, Cal Crutchlow, he made that Yamaha working company, didn't he? He was fighting with all of them out there. So, I mean, six rides, 37 years old he'll be on Saturday, and he's still the man. I mean, I've got to say, I, I, I can't praise Cal enough for, for being able to get off the bench and do what he's doing at that level is just so impressive. You just wish that he'd been given the opportunities earlier in his life to be able to be where he is now a bit earlier. It would have been miles better for everybody, but uh, that's the British way. We're all a bit late over here, I'm afraid, when it comes to ages. Can't you tell? A bit late to the party, usually. <laughs> <laughs> and and fastest on Friday, of course, wasn't he, Kelly? You know, he, he again just showing that awareness of, of not just 
being the rider on the bike, but realizing it's the home race for the team. The sponsors are all there. The track's drying. You know, let's put slicks on and, and put this at the top of the pile, which he did by 0.9 of a second, didn't he? You know, it, it gives a great boost for the team after what's been a really hard season. So it was, I think it was a clever move of him just to just to be even aware of that side of things. You know, there would have been a lot of teams, you know, there's Malay, okay, with you is an Italian company, but the other sponsors on the bike, there's Malaysian companies there. Raslin is obviously Malaysian, important event. And he goes and puts the bike on P1 in FP2. Fantastic. Tell you what, the Brits are looking pretty good at the minute. Call it day I bet there. Silverstone will wish this had all happened a bit before before we got to the Grand Prix. Oh. Forty-one thousand at um, Silverstone might have been increased by twenty thousand if we'd had these uh, the Brits doing what they've been doing this weekend. That's for sure. Well, as usual, better late than never. But uh, some Jake Dixon and John McPhee chat coming up shortly. Um, while we're on Yamaha, though, I do want to bring up um, Franco Morbidelli in what was, I think it's fair to say, his best weekend of the season, not in terms of actual race result, but marred with penalties, of course. But top five, he was saying, was possible without the penalties. Qualified season best seventh uh, and was ahead of Fabio, actually, on track before he had to take those long laps. Uh, but then uh, an incident with Alicia Spargo right in the final lap. He had another penalty on top of that, too. Is is this the beginning of, of Morbidelli? coming back <laughs> too late if you ask me i mean it's um yeah you know, we go to valencia and and probably he's going to be in the same place that he's been for a while there we'll wait and see but he's had a disappointing year he'll be pleased I'm... would you have sacked him off by now no i don't think you should do that i think he, he, he's had his opportunity this year to put it right if he can come back with a couple of rounds at the end of the year where it shows a bit of promise then you know, onwards and upwards in 2023. But they'll certainly be preparing for something like that, I would think. They'll be looking at what's going on next year. I, it's it's always difficult. How long do you give a rider to come back to form, you know, at this level? What is poor form? I mean, <laughs> he might be half a second off of everybody else. It, it's it's minute, the, the, the difference between the front runners and the, and the, the 20th place guy. You know, it, it, less than a second quite often in, in MotoGP. Um, it's not that he can't ride a motorbike, but for some reason or another, he's not performing to the level that we would all expect of him. And I'm sure the team expected of him as well. So a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but um, what they say about one swallow don't make a summer, something like that. Do they? <laughs> and, 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 by and the way, that swallow is a that... bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got that. Good, we got good, that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> The issue, of course, is that, as you say, you might just be getting the hang of this bike, but there's a new bike coming up in one race, you know, after the next race. So, you know, and then you start again. So Frankie will obviously hope that the 23 bike is a lot more to his liking. It seems like Frankie in general is much smoother on the bike. And, uh, you know, we saw he he beat Fabio, didn't he, at the end of the, the, the season they were together in 2020 using this smoothness but that was on the 2019 bike which was kind of like a previous generation if you like There's, there was a, a step in the development which Keith has just said the dangers of doing that well you know the bike changed it suited Fabio it hasn't suited Frankie and he's been trying to make it work while keeping that smooth style but he's you know as Dobby also concluded you've really got to do or try and do what Quattararo does with this bike so he's gone to try and be a bit more aggressive. Um, he's struggled in qualifying, like you know, so many people on the grid this year. There's guys that, that would be much higher up in the standings if they could qualify better. He's another one of them. Um, but it did seem like he, he made some sort of progress, didn't it, at Sepang? But as he says, it's, it's one track. He, 
of course, this was a track that they tested at, at the start of the year as well. So they had a bit more data and things like that than they normally have at these tracks. So certainly the flyaways, the other ones they hadn't been at since 2019. So, yeah, we've got to wait and see, haven't we? And uh, yeah, a disagreement with Aleish on, uh, on the last lap there. It, I mean, I, I don't know how you call that. It's the last lap. Usually the stewards are a bit more lenient as far as contact. Aleish thought it was too much, that, that he could have gone down. Um, it was at the penultimate corner, big wide corner. Um, Morbidelli died for the inside and there was contact. So, yeah, Morbidelli felt that it wasn't a fair penalty. Um, it just lost him that one position. It was a time penalty that basically just dropped him back behind Aleish. So he finished 11th um, officially, but he was 10th at the line. Um, but he he actually echoed the words of Paul Espargo early in the weekend. He felt that the stewards, you know, when the riders speak to them, they don't really sort of take into account too much of what they say. So, you know, uh, riders complaining about penalties, shock. Can I pick up on that point you made, Pete, about the riding style thing where, you know, obviously the bike's change doesn't really suit him. I think that is a very modern situation that we have in MotoGP, um, particularly at the moment, in that riding styles have to change. You have to adapt around the bike. It's always been that to a, to a degree. You can change your standard riding style, if you like, to, to suit the bike up to a point. But I think we're in a in a period over the last five, six, well, Mark Marquez era, I suppose, really, 10 years then, you know, where style of riding a motorbike you have to adapt you have to work it out you know i remember going to sepang for a test back in the day when um i think they went from bridgestones to michelin's and everybody crashed their brains out there for the first time and they all had to adapt around the the, the fact that michelin's didn't quite have that grip that bridgestone had at the front but had a load more grip at the back the balance of the bike changed massively so everybody had to change and i remember seeing the silhouette of Valentino Rossi coming through them fast, fast ones at the top, you know, and the high part of the track at uh, Sepang. And I remember thinking, I couldn't quite work out the silhouette, who he was. Normally, as a commentator, you kind of get used to that. You don't see colours and numbers sometimes. You just work it out from, from the way someone looks on a bike. And he was moving around on the bike, bearing in mind how old he was. He's a, an old boy by then, even. And he was moving around on the bike, more Mark Marquez style. He was in a test, working out what he had to do to get that bike to go. And I think some riders are better at adapting style to suit things than others are. You know, some have got that muscle memory. This is how I ride a bike. So I'm going to change the bike to suit my style. Whereas the really, really modern day guys, the really quick guys are changing their style to match the bike as well as changing the bike to try and meet them halfway. And I think it's a real key to how you work with your team, who your crew chief is, who the guys are. Bearing in mind the limited amount of time you get on a motorbike nowadays, there's none of that testing. You know, you used to be able to test your brains out going back in the day. You could go, you know, the factory wanted a test, we could test anywhere. But now you can't. So we've got limited testing as well, which is another why the reason why the engineering takes a long time to catch up as well. Because you you make a motorbike for 2023 and it don't work when you go testing at the beginning of 2023, you are done. You know, Honda were there when the electronics all changed. Their bike was sharp. A bit like a stealth fighter, you know, fly by wire, bloody, you know, the, the computer flew the thing. Well, that was how, how the Hondas were. And then as soon as it went to Magnetti Morelli, you know, systems across the board and, and the software was all similar and so on and so forth, Honda were all at sea at that point. You know, it, suddenly it was Mark Marquez that was controlling the motorbike, not the electronics anymore. And he was the only one who could get on with it as it was at that time. So there are so many elements that alter the way you can ride a motorbike and the, the, the end product, how it, how it en ends up time-wise. Good to see Morbidelli back on it, but, you know, I think it comes under the heading of must try harder to, to, to adapt to what he's got. 
Dovey couldn't do it. You know, Dovey's a bit old school. Again, it comes down a bit to old school. You know, modern day riders, you look at some of these guys now and they're all over them bloody motorbikes. Like, like well, I mean, I'm, I don't know what, but it's, it's, it's outer worldly almost the way they're riding a bike. I mean, I couldn't even sit on one the way they do nowadays. It's just probably because my bones wouldn't let me, but it, it, it is completely <laughs> different. It is completely, it's a different way of racing, racing bikes. I don't know whether there's anything in cars that is similar. I mean, obviously we've talked about it before where you're strapped in the car area and, and you know, pretty much you're in that platform. So all the, all the alterations you make pretty much are to the car. And then it's down to the, you know, the pilot, the point in the right direction and brake in the right place with a motorbike you move an inch one way or the other or, or get over the front or get over the back in conjunction now with all this stuff you've got. I mean, you look at the, you know, the reason I make the analogy between cars and bikes as well is you look to the handlebars now and it's almost like the steering wheel on a car where you've got all this stuff you press. It's like a bloody computer game. Now, I couldn't remember to press all the right things in the right places. I've got a job driving me car now. So <laughs> red, green, <laughs> blue buttons all on the side here and, and dashboard that you've got to read what's coming across from, from pit lane when they're telling you who's about and what you're doing time-wise. There's a lot more going on, and I'm, and I'm riding a motorbike now than there used to be, much more. Well, well, when you do the comparison to cars, it's, it's sort of the age-old question: Is it how much is it the car? How much is it the driver? How much is it the bike? How much is it the rider? Well, and you're saying there that it's mainly the rider. Yes, I am. I think with the car, I mean, we had, we had, we had this with the, the the Lewis Hamilton being subbed by George Russell that time when he jumped in the Mercedes and should have mm. basically won his first ever Formula One Grand Prix except the team and the tyres screwed him at the time. I remember it was outrageous. He should have won that. Was that at Portugal as well? I think it was, wasn't it? It uh, pulled him out. Uh, no, I think it was. No, it was Bahrain. No, was it was Bahrain. Well, anyway, um, it's a situation where I think that I won't say that you can put any driver in the fastest car because they're, they're, they've all got talent. I mean, Lewis Hamilton is, is particularly special, despite the fact he seems to have a whole group of people that don't like him for some reason. I can never work that out. Um, but on a bike, yes, you can make the difference. The problem you have if you are on a slower motorcycle is that once somebody gets down the, and you've alluded to it, both of you already, you know, the Yamaha is a, a bike that on its own, on an overall lap, can be very, very fast. But as soon as you've got a slightly faster Ducati, Suzuki, even Aprilia down the inside of you into a braking area, they've mired your fast line. So you can't carry that momentum, that roll speed through the center of the corner. You can't carry that through as you would do normally if you were on your own, which is, which is why you know it's it's almost impossible when you've got a fast bike and you've got a load of Ducatis all around you. They're going to beat you the term one anyway if it's a long way up the road. You know the reaction time is is negligible, negligible difference between any of the riders. You know the ride height adjustment you've got now. They launch. I can't believe how they launch. The, the system on a motorbike now is again. I make the car analogy. When you stand at the end of the pit lane and they all do their first bite point test and they all blast off out in their four wheelers they hit the limiter which isn't really the limiter it's a start line limiter whatever that is i don't know how it works in a car because i've never driven one with it but they just sort of hover at, at the optimum revs and dump the clutch and it does it all itself well that's pretty much how it works with a bike now you know they they, they hit the, the start line limiter dump the clutch and providing you've got it all set in the right place they blast off reaction time is virtually the same for all these guys they are all quick on the mark anyway and down to turn one and if you just got a bike that's chucking out more horsepower it's going to get there first that's the way it is if you've qualified it on the front row and you've got the 10 yards advantage over the second row you're pretty much going to keep that down into turn one now that didn't happen much at um sepang i'm pleased to say that's the other thing with motorbikes you can ram them around the outside ram it up the inside and we got so much of that in those tricky little little right hand left hand as that that 
I won't say Mickey Mouse because it's not. It's actually by design and it works pretty well, I think, actually. Um, the first right and left handers really, you can have a, an opportunity to, to, to get up the inside or get around the outside. And we saw that quite a lot this weekend. Some great, I mean, there was some great racing at the starts of races, but um, I've got to say, without Moto 2 or Moto 3, I think I'd have been a bit bored. Moto GP was um, not the most uh, lively of races in the end. No, you're right. I think it was actually Fabio who's one of those uh, guys lay on the brakes into turn one once he saw Pekka was about to take the lead. Got himself up to, to fifth, I think it was. Um, one man, though, now out of title contention officially is Alicia Spargro. It's been a bit of a... a Bit of a sad way to sort of end his championship, really, because the the run of form he had up until the flyaways was sensational. But since then, it's it's all kind of come a bit crumbling down for Aprilia. They're convinced, Alicia's the convinced, it's some sort of technical issue, and now only one point clear of Bastianini for third. Well, it happens, doesn't it? In the development of a year and. Aprilia were having a fantastic time this year. It was all looking good. He looked like at any point he could be world champion, Aleish. You know, it was a dream for both the, the manufacturer and for him as a rider. But when you get to this time of the year, the uh, knives are quite sharp. And Aprilia dropped the ball a couple of times. You know, Aleish has got himself mired in the odd argument here and there in his head. I always think sometimes Aleish, you know, if he if he just could manage to keep that focus, that that kind of you know, down to just the, the 10% all, all on, on what he's doing rather than worrying about what other people are saying and what other people are doing, maybe that would help him a little bit as well. I mean, I'm sure he would would argue that. But he's, what, 33 years old. He's the second oldest man since Krupto came back. Um, you know, there, there's a lot going on in your head of that. He's a family man. He's got kids. You know, time's running out to win a world title. Perhaps he feels that this year was his, his only year that he's going to get an opportunity to win a world title. You know, he, he will have been disappointed with, with Aprilia making a couple of mistakes that they made, which cost him, you know, he's made a you know, a mistake or two that, that have cost him as well, which he'll be more than aware of and will beat himself up over. Your worst mistakes are the ones you make. You know, the other ones you can blame somebody else for. That always feels better. Well, I always think so anyway. But it's, um, it's, 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 it's been a great year for Aleish. I think he's proved he's better than a lot of people thought he was. Um, and he's deserved to be where he is. Uh, unfortunately, it's just tapered off a bit towards the end. But you know, Aprilia are, Aprilia are on the right ramp. Everything's going in the right direction with Aprilia. Um, you know, Rivoli will sort out that team and sort out any deficiency there is in there during the winter. And hopefully Aprilia will come back banging next year. Big step, wasn't it, they made this year? I think historic uh, season was what Aleish was saying after Sunday when he sort of dropped out. As I say, third in the World Championship now, he's going to have to fight to hold on to that. But still, it's one of the big big turnarounds, really, of the MotoGP era to go from where they were last year to even being in the fight going into the last round, if you like, um, or being eliminated at the penultimate round. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it's strange where it slipped away, isn't it? I mean, it's these flyaways. The, the, we knew they were going to be a bit of an unpredictable sort of lottery, but they've really come out of this. Combined with Quattararo, they really suffered, didn't they, in, in the points? And Aleish, I think he's the best of ninth place in these races, and it's been frustrating for him. Sunday, he said, you know, no top speed, no traction. I mean, certainly in the race, his average speed is like 13Ks behind Banyaya. You know, both of them were in the pack, so they both should have had slipstreams, and yet a really big difference. Things like that that they can't really understand. So Aleish found himself kind of in the situation that Quattararo is normally in, of not being able to overtake because he hasn't got any speed on the straights. 
we also saw some frustration with the the, the starting device didn't we during practice he couldn't get it engaged again all these little things that as he says probably playing on his mind a little bit and it's just you know from japan where that problem with the eco mode wasn't it on the grid it's really it, it's not it's just been one thing after another and it, it must be hard because the, the team must think you know what's going to happen next but um a shame for them to drop out in this way as he as, as said the last four races have been a nightmare really but still you know they can be proud of the season they've had Aleish is, you know, he's talking up their chances for next year, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Ducati, they, they gave away a lot of points early on, didn't they, in this year? And that allowed other teams in. Will they make that mistake again? You've got to say it's fairly unlikely, really. And I think Aleish would still be in the title hunt had he not uh, crossed or thought he crossed the line uh, a lap too early from the Catalan Grand Prix early in the year. I hate to bring that up for him, but, you know, it's not all team and technical error, is it? It's also, you know, that, you know, it's also but takes two to tango doesn't it but either way i think it's fair to say a historic season for aprilia and one that they can be uh, very proud of indeed and hope for a, a strong end and good to see mavic vinales although poor weekend from out of malaysia has seemed to have made a step this year as well so uh it looks like the maverick of old is starting to to rear its head once again uh, we'll come on to more motor gp a little later on um, but first a quick interruption to the show because we are now delighted uh, to be sponsored by the wonderful people at nord vpn if you like us and whenever you leave your country and get frustrated that you can't watch certain things because they're not shown wherever you are nord vpn is what you need it allows us uh, to switch your virtual location to a country that is showing what you want to watch and yes that includes motor gp world superbikes bsb and loads more so now wherever you are in the world you'll never miss out on watching live motorbike action again or just your favorite program you can grab your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash crash moto gp to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan plus four months for free it's completely risk-free with your personal information encrypted with the highest security protocols and if you're not happy with anything then nord's 30-day money-back guarantee is there for you so what you're waiting for grab your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash crash moto gp to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan plus four months for free and while you do that i think it's about time we spoke about some of the more entertaining action that happened in moto 2 and moto 3 keith should we start with moto 2 um and it was toby arbolino who came out on top uh long battle with ayagura um but ayagura over ambitious or the right call <laughs> oh, oh if you could have been uh, oyama if you'd have been riding in the head of Hiro Oyama, his, his team mentor, former superstar, you know, you'd have thought, what was that? You know, just 20 points. I know you always want the 25, but it was almost like a rush of blood to the head um, from, from a little bit too far back on a track that wasn't giving you consistent grip in different places. I mentioned it right early on that the, it wasn't an easy racetrack this weekend with, with the way that it, dry there's high humidity so the rain from the the inevitable rain every single day was washing out the goodness of the track every single day and he will live with that moment for a long long time i mean i think of jake dixon all the time when he should have won at le mans he has not yet won a motor two race um we know he's on the he's been on the podium now seven times this year i think it is from memory um it's been a great year for jake dixon but he still hasn't taken that win 
in Oyama's case, you know, he could have really put a massive dent going into Valencia in that championship lead that he had. And now he's, what, nine and a half points behind going into Valencia. Well, in a Moto2 race, just about anything can happen. If you think you can make a mistake on a track like Malaysia, you can multiply that by 10 when you get to Valencia because it's one of those racetracks where, you know, crashing is us. It's, it's like a, you know, that time of the year, depending on the weather, it can be an awful racetrack to try and get a grip on. So Oyama, he may turn out to be an absolute hero, but now he's got the uphill struggle. He's now got the struggle going into Valencia. I mean, it's going to be difficult for him to live with. It's going to be interesting to see how this interferes with his head going into the final round. Um, it should have all been so good, but in the end it wasn't. But Jake Dixon, another podium for him. Another great ride from him. You know, he, he's, he's the, I've said it every time we've talked about Jake, he's the real deal now. It's funny enough, it's, but I spent some time with his mother-in-law at the weekend at the race of, uh, race of the year at Mallory Park. We were up there supporting Gino Rear, of course, because Gino is, his rehabilitation is going to take some time after that massive crash he had in Japan for the Endurance World Championship race. Um, and with me, Steve Parrish, Troy Corsa, Gary Mason, um, we're all up there, you know, doing something for, for on behalf of Gino, trying to trying to make it good for him. And um, it's it's a situation where I, I wish I was able to go to um, uh, to the Grand Prix, but I'm more than happy to have been at the race of the year. I've got to say at Mallory Park in these circumstances. I was going to go somewhere else then, but um, I had a, one of those moments where I forgot where I was going. <laughs> shock um but pete i mean let's uh let's save keith here and and go back to the most two action because uh, it, for, uh you bring up dixon another a, a great ride from him but a lot of people uh, saying maybe was he a bit too aggressive in these final stages perhaps interfering with the title fights going on where he's not so much in the battle it's one of those ones isn't it where you know people always look at it from one side or the other um, they'll either say that you should race everyone normally or that you should kind of, you know, others will say, oh, you should sort of pull wide and wave people through. And it, it really, you've just got to treat people as normal, I think. And, and, and I think, you know, yeah, Jake was racing hard, but I didn't see anything dirty. Um, obviously, Fernandez wasn't happy about it. You saw he was a bit reluctant to, to sort of shake hands on the slowdown lap, wasn't he? But yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was hard, fair racing, which is what you get in Moto2. But obviously, if you're in that title battle, that's the last thing you want. You don't want hard racing, do you? You know, you want your competitors to uh, to give you extra It's that unwritten rule again, isn't it? Like the the unwritten rule that you don't interfere with someone in a championship. But, you know, when you're when you're contracted to a team, to a sponsor, to, to a situation, you're paid to go out there and do the business. You know, and, and Jake Dixon is paid to do what he did. He need you know, to be on the podium. Who's going to pay his bonus if he's going to be a little bit um, earlier on the brakes just to make sure that the guy that's racing for the championship is is okay? You know, I think Jake Dixon did everything dead right. I mean, it's it's a situation, you know, do you cheat the fans, people at the side of the track? You know, they've come here to see some good racing and there's nothing like a bit of rubbing to, to give them a good good event, to give them a good, you know, get the spectators on their feet. And, and Jake and Fernandez were, were busy at it, which, um, and like Pete's already said, you know, yeah, a couple of the moves were, were sketchy close, but they weren't over the top close. You know, they were they were proper racing moves. Um, and I think uh, Jake's got nothing to worry about on, on that front. And in, today, in today's, Otherwise you'd end in today's up... environment of, uh, of penalties, you know damn well that somebody would have awarded him a penalty if they thought it was over the top. And they didn't. 
that's it. I mean, what's the alternative? You only let the title contenders race and, and, and everyone else doesn't even start the race. I mean, that's what you'd be effectively down to otherwise, wouldn't it? You know, as long as as long as people race as they would any other rider, I think, you know, I think there's nothing to complain about. But again, you, you can see it from the point of view of Fernandez and, and, and the IO team. Of course, they're, they're racing for a championship. Of course, they're not going to like any close moves because they want their guy to do well. But let's face it, at the end of the day, it all got they got that massive gift on the last lap anyway. So Fernandez, having looking at, uh, excuse me, saying what an 11 point disadvantage now has that nine and a half points. That half point, quite crucial, isn't it? Because first to third is nine points. So suddenly that half a point means that he can afford to finish, you know, another place back. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tense finale. It's going to be, as we're saying, the MotoGP one, really, it's going to take a major upset for, well, for Banyaya. To, to obviously not score two points, but Quattararo to win that race is a massive task alone. But in Moto2, that's where all the eyes are, isn't it, in terms of a title showdown? Because, yeah, there's going to be a battle there. There's teammates involved as well, let's say. You know, Acosta's going to be up there. He's fast. Chantra, could they play a part in some way, perhaps slowing the pace? Who knows? You know, the, that, that Moto2 finale is going to be one to watch. Yeah, Chantra got properly squashed, didn't he? I was amazed to see him get back up after that. He had a rider and a motorcycle land on him. Um, when after he clipped the rear end of uh, the bike in front and tipped himself over the front, it was a, a Malaysia was a very interesting race meeting. I've got to say that um, it ain't over yet. But that, the, another reason why it's such a shame that we end up with going to Valencia, to because these battles really are, would be great if we were going somewhere that was a bit more promotes a bit more racing. We'll see. I might be completely wrong. I am often. Here's to Valencia. Let's keep let's keep the optimism. Let's keep the optimism. Um, and I think a word though, Pete, just on uh, on Aaron Cadet as well, who had a, a really good comeback uh, to eighth in the end after being caught up in in that first lap melee. He's he's third in the championship. Out, I'm pretty sure out of title contention now. Two hundred points back. Uh, well, he's got two hundred points, and Fernandez two hundred fifty one and a half. So title out of reach. But a good comeback from him after yeah, looking down and out in the first lap. Yeah, it was, it was, wasn't it? And and he started. The, he was one of the guys, like Fernandez, started the weekend with an accident again, which is never a good way to, you know, especially for Fernandez. Obviously, going from Philip Island where he fell, he then fell in in on Friday practice. Canet was another one who fell in Friday practice, tangled with um, another rider, but uh, who was it? Zonta, I think Van der Gerberg, perhaps, or his teammate. Anyway, got injured unfortunately. Just Canet, just Canet, just lost the front. You know. It, he left plenty of room, but lost the front, took out the other guy. And I think it's RW Racing. They've got two injured riders now. So really bad luck there. But yeah, Canet still chasing that win though, isn't he? But if he could do it in Valencia, you know, home race, I mean, it, it, a perfect end of the year because this this whole thing of, you talked about Jake Dixon missing that chance at Le Mans. I mean, Canet has missed numerous chances to take this first Moto2 win. And if it, this is, you know, if he doesn't get it at Valencia, he's got to go all the winter thinking about it again. So you know, I mean, he goes Valencia, home race, home crowd. I think he could, uh, you know, it would be a dream result if he could uh, pull it off there. Well, shall we talk about Moto3? Because that was probably the most entertaining race I've seen in a while. That last lap. Okay, spo- obviously spoiler if you haven't watched it by now. But John McPhee winning in Moto3. Sazaki second, Garcia third, Keith. But that order... Could have been anything on that on that final corner. I'm only going to talk about John McPhee. John McPhee, four times now a Grand Prix winner. <laughs> he didn't look like he was going to do anything this weekend. The bike was all over the place. They couldn't hit the sweet spot at all. He's qualified 22nd on the grid. 22nd. Okay. Moto3, you can make up places. Sometimes you can come through. But he languished in 18th place on the first lap. 
came through to something like 12th place by about half distance and was quite a way away from that front running top 10 as it was. He, he'd got about a second gap. And in motor three terms, it's quite difficult to bridge a gap. But I did not see him place that motorbike a millimetre out of line anywhere. He rode the cleverest of races I think I've ever seen John ride. Yes, we know he can win Grand Prix. He's done it. And he's had to fight quite hard for it. But he was perfect in his strategy for making it to the front. And he placed himself in so many clever positions. I mean, maturity. He's out of a ride at the end of this year because he's too old to stay in Moto3 for next year. Um, as soon as you get to 28 at the start of a year, you can't ride in Moto3. 50 for Moto2 and MotoGP. But in Moto3, it's 28 years old. is a cutoff. Doesn't have a job for next year at the moment. Hasn't been on the podium this year had that injury earlier on the year that took him out of half a dozen rounds as well, which you know he's come back from a massive injury that could have been career-ending. I mean, honestly, I, I just... Your heart bursts for someone like McPhee when you know how much he's putting into it. You know how much it means to him, or if you don't, you should do. And to see him... Uh, he said in part firme he was proud of himself. That's not a boast. That was a ride to be proud of. Whoever you are, if you were Mark Marquez, you would have been proud of that ride because it was his placement. It was not, he strategically, he didn't put himself in a bad position anywhere on that track at any lap that I could see. And the way he placed himself as they got tripped up and fell over each other trying to scrap for the line and he perfectly found the way through, read the eye of the needle, McPhee made it to the line, honestly. I nearly screamed my throat out. I thought it was on the end of my tongue at, the, at that particular point. An incredible ride from McPhee. But I think the, 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 the bit to be proud of was how clever it was. It was, a, it was a, a career-defining kind of a race. If you've got one race in your career that you could stand back and say, ha, that was me, that would be the one. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what class it was in. Great race. Really well done. Really well done. And in typical Brit fashion, better late than never, Pete. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that move on the penultimate corner was it fifth to first? That it just incredible, wasn't it? And and then, but then he also had to overtake his teammate into the last corner as well, and, and no hesitation, absolutely spot on, difficult final corner, off camera and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, it sounds like it had been a total nightmare weekend up till race day, to the point where I think John was even considering: is there any point turning up? We're talking about you know the mechanics that they've had to change in the team, the crew chief they've had to change, all of this kind of thing going on. Uh, you know, he knows he's out of the class. He hasn't got anything in place for next year. And yet with all of that and, and starting 22nd on the grid to put all of that behind you, fight your way forward and, and, and just exploit every sort of mistake by the people around you and be wheel perfect. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable ride. And uh, yeah, I mean, to say you're proud of yourself, that's like the understatement of the year isn't it, after that. But 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 that's kind of John, isn't it? You know, he, he is sort of understated and uh you know, he deserves all the accolades for that ride because that was as good as anyone on that grid this year. Sensational. Um, that gets him into the top 10, just about, of the uh, rider standings. Of course, nothing really changing up front with Izan Caveira taking the title uh, last time out. But a bit of a race to forget for, for the new champion. A little mistake at the start of the race. Saw him drop sort of right to the outskirts of the top 10, I think it was. And then he ran to the back of Sasaki for good measure on his way back. Yeah, I mean, you're always yeah, bad motor three action like that. Miss Kia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Possibly. I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, hitting the back of Sasaki, it seemed like, I, I don't know, Sasaki, it wasn't the normal place where, where someone sort of runs into the back of someone. So I assume that's what that but scary moment, because uh, it's a fast final. You know, when they start accelerating by that point, it's a tight corner. But by the time they get to where they were, they're shifting and there's not a lot of runoff and it's wet grass, wasn't it? Probably. So he did well to hang on. But um, but there we are. Yeah, he's um, uh, and his teammate is now taking over second Garcia, isn't he? From uh, I think from Foggia. So there's a that's to be decided at the, the final round. Yeah, the vice champion in PR speak. <laughs> uh, two four one for Garcia, two three three for Foggia, and then Suzaki two two seven. So he's not completely out of it either. So uh, nice battle there for uh, for second in the uh, Moto three standings. But oh, Moto three was brilliant. Um, now before we round things off, just a few more notes from Moto GP. If we uh, squirrel our way back, and uh, Mark Marquez, I think it's worth having a little quick chat about him. A bit of a, a, a miracle, I suppose, qualifying lap from him to be on the front row of the race. Keith, a, a slightly different story. Uh, dropped from seventh. He said he felt physically worse than than the other races. Really struggled. Honda still the only manufacturer likely to be the only manufacturer without a win come the end of the year. And rumours swirling that next year's bike is already being delayed because uh, not going to be at this Valencia postseason test. So you know, Mark Marquez is really, really stringing the beast that is this Honda bike at the moment. That bike looked awful. Everywhere you looked at it, it didn't look anything. Hang on. Marquez, to qualify it where it did, I thought that it was going to be a crash almost for certain in qualifying. I just couldn't see how he was hanging onto the thing. It just didn't look right. And if it looks so wrong when you're watching TV, can you imagine what it must feel like? Uh, it looked like an accident waiting to happen in so many different places. You know, the position he ended up in in the race, I suppose, was fair enough. But but he rode the wheels off that thing in qualifying to get it where he did on the front row. Um you know, Honda still haven't got over their problems. Honda have still got a lot of work to do to get that bike something like. Um, you know, Marquez is on quite good form. You know, so really, really I, I, I don't know which way this is going to go, you know, for 2023. I really don't. Um, Mark Marquez is still a very fast motorcycle racer. There's no doubt in that. Will he be able to pull something out of the bag when we get to Valencia? You can never doubt Marquez, can you? That's the problem. You can't rule him out of something spectacular and if the bike is sort of close to being okay you know we could have him winning at, at Valencia he might just pull that Honda win out of the bag um you wouldn't perhaps put a lot of money on it but you wouldn't then rule it out either definitely not no left-hand circuit isn't it we know we know he goes well on those Philip Island was, was the, the the most recent one of the left-handers and we saw he, he nearly won that one so yeah, I think he, he certainly expects to go better at Valencia. As far as next year's bike, yeah, I mean, what normally happens is that the Mizano test is when the factories get their first look at, or the factory teams get their first look at next year's bike. Now, we know Cotterar obviously tried the new engine from Yamaha, chassis parts, things like that. There wasn't the new Honda bike. They were still working through, they still seem, they're still sort of working through options and trying to decide which direction they want to go in. And it seems like Marquez also isn't quite sure... You know, do they build a Marquez bike, the sort of the front end bike that he really likes, or do they, you know, work on this rear grip thing? And and Mark himself seems to be sort of open minded on maybe I need to change my style. Exactly what Keith was talking about earlier. As a rider, you, you need to adapt. And and he's saying, look, you know, maybe I, that's the way the bike needs to be in the modern MotoGP era. It needs to be, you know, planted at the back, having rear grip. And I have to deal with that. I have to learn how to exploit the most from that. 
So, you know, while at first glance, everyone says, oh, we'll just give Mark what he wants, you know, which is that front end, a nice solid front end, and he'll work the rest out. Even he's not sure, you know, is that the fastest way around the track? Probably a compromise somewhere in the middle is what they're after. But yeah, he still doesn't know what he will have at this Valencia test. Only a one-day test this year. It's the only chance they're going to test, uh, get to test something before Sepang next February. And as Mark said, really, what you get at Sepang is what you're racing. You can make a few small changes, but the, the start of the season is a, you know a month or so away. You can't redesign something after Sepang. So yeah, it's going to be a big test coming up at Valencia, and they've got to hope for good weather as well. And, uh, you know, I think, as he said, we're going to have one shot at this. So they're still gathering lots of information. We know that there's different things on Mark's bikes. Paul's bike doesn't seem to have changed at all throughout the season. I mean, they know he's off to KTM. So, I mean, he's not getting anything new in that regard. Nor is Alex Marquez off to Ducati, obviously, with Grassini. He's not had anything new. But Tacker and Mark seem to be having these different parts. Obviously, the Calix swing arm was the most obvious visible thing, wasn't it? But there's lots of other little tweaks, the, the arrow on the back seat, everything else. They, they're trying to work out what they need for next year, but the clock is ticking. I think MotoGP are still missing a trick. I really do believe that they're missing a trick regarding, you know, a look, a, a, a bit of a look back at concessions and possibly if there's a situation where in the first three or four Grand Prix, you know, you, you can add a few concessions to try and get some of those guys up on a, on a fast track um, performance-wise, if there's a situation with Aprilia or whoever it might be. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, or Ducati are going to run away with it. You know, maybe there's a situation, as I've said, I've been banging this drum for so long, I've, I've almost worn my hands out, when it comes to, you know, Let's not have the, the cutoff for technical innovation to be at Qatar or at the first round. Let's make that round four. But also, maybe there's a situation where we need to manipulate the, you know, the, the, the testing situation where you allow changes, you know, if you've not scored so many points maybe in the fourth. Okay, so we, don't, don't, we, we keep the, the, the cutoff point for technical innovation at the first round, but then we have a, an enhanced concession situation where you know, bikes that haven't performed particularly well in the first four rounds are still allowed to, to, to make some changes you know, up until another. Now, there needs to be, for me, something different there that, that needs to be worked out because it's just not quite where it needs to be. It, it, the, the riders, the teams, the manufacturers do not have the time to put the innovations on their motorbikes before that cutoff comes. And we should probably just say that Okay, Honda haven't won a race this year, all the others have, but they still will not have concessions next year because they've had a podium. You have to go a whole season without a podium. So there's no question of Honda somehow getting concessions, depending on what happened in Valencia. Um, they've already, if you like, missed out on that because they have had the podiums two this year now, one with pole at the very start and then Mark and Philip Island. Well, one more to go and we will know who our moto gp world champion is uh, our predictions aren't looking good for that pete and keith locked in fabio and i locked in an age so i'm already out of that one and uh, even in the race last time uh, keith and myself picked up two points with our peco uh, at, well i had peco and anea and uh, who did you have keith you had fabio and uh, banyaya so we both got two 
Pete, I'm afraid, only the one point. So in our own little championship battle, Pete just holds on to the lead with 19 points. Keith is in second with 18 and I am in third with 17. So it is all to play for in the final round in Valencia. We'll do the predictions as well as looking forward to Valencia, uh, which I don't think is going to be a very uh, enjoyable uh, Keith's preview, but we'll see how he feels with that one next week. Um, Let us know your Valencia thoughts and the build up to that and and we'll get them in. Uh, But that is it. We are done for this week's show. So make sure you're tuned in across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis across the week. And we'll be back with you next week pete you're in valencia right uh yes yeah he is be, he's yeah. gonna be there he's gonna be there race and test race and test so all the exclusive bits from pete on crash.net look out for that uh, get your questions in leave them in the comments section or tweet instagram facebook us just search crash moto gp please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast and we shall see you right back here next week well i will get the dress code and i'll come in navy blue as well but from me pete and keith we'll see you next week bye-bye a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.